All right, welcome back to the Super Syntex Podcast, talking Central Texas high school football. With me, as always, is DJ Ramirez, Chad Conine. How are y'all doing? Good. Pretty good. Good, good. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a re- remote location today. You are. An undisclosed location. No, no, no. It must be disclosed, because I'm right at the heart of Texas. Like, I'm at the beating heart of Texas, right? I'm here just adjacent to Billy Bob's, Texas. So that's, I'm going to go ride a mechanical bull after this. <laughs> I would pay to see that. You'll have to send us some video later. Uh-huh. Uh, let's dive into some Texas high school football, Central Texas uh, style. So to me, the game of the week in our area is Crawford and Marlin, uh, which will be played Friday night at uh, Pirate Stadium in Crawford. That's where DJ will be. Um, it's kind of the de facto district championship game for that that league, 8-2-A. Um, the winner of this one will definitely have the inside track for the district championship, even though there will be games still to play. But more than that, it's also the rematch of a playoff game from last year, regional final which Marlon won 26 to six fairly decisively. Um, so break it down for me. Who do y'all think, uh, how do y'all see this one ver- playing out? Well, I think that, uh, you know, Crawford has been very much Crawford this season and maybe even close to the best version of itself. Um, although it's, it's hard to actually say that having not seen him play, I know two years ago when they made it to the state semifinals, they had a fantastic offensive line. They had younger skill kids then, or at least some younger skill kids. Uh, now their skill kids are, you know, are veterans, and, and I haven't really seen them play enough to speak uh, to their offensive line and how good it might be. But they're the best version of themselves, and Marlin is still trying to get back to the best version of itself that that you know sort of existed in the playoffs last year. So I, I would think in that regard, probably the edge goes to Crawford here. DJ, what do yeah. you think? Um, having just talked to both those coaches yesterday and this morning, um, I, it does look like Crawford is a little bit more favored just because they have been playing, you know, the best football that they could have been playing. They've only allowed 13 points this, uh, wow. season. and, um, you know, Marlin kind of had some a really tough non-district. They had to deal with a lot of injuries or just getting healthy now. Um, I do feel like they've got a little bit more momentum just coming out of that Moody game. And, and you know, they've started off district pretty well. Um, they've got, you know, I feel like more contributors. And it's something that Ruben Torres mentioned when I talked to him is that they Last season was very much more on Trajan Butler, uh, Darian Gillette, um, and now they've got some more guys that are stepping up, a lot more skill players that are, you know, contributing to the team. And what uh, Coach Jacobs mentioned was that they would have to really stop those big explosive plays and from uh, them from getting out um, in terms of defense. And they've got a pretty strong, stingy defense, so. Um, and then, I mean, I think something that Coach Torres also mentioned was that at the end of last season, they didn't have like their main, like their quarterback and their main running back were out, uh, with injury. And so 
yeah, I think the Pirates kind of have the upper hand here, but um, not, not that Marlin can't win it or can't figure out how to win it. You know, yeah, and that's in that's that's in Crawford on Friday, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. What a great setting. Go ahead. Yeah. Brett, sorry. Yeah, no, that's a. It is. It should be a fun, fun game. Uh, DJ made some some excellent points there. Uh, I think the contrast of styles is going to be a lot of fun in this one, just because DJ mentioned the defense that Crawford has played this year. I talked to Coach Jacobs last week, and but obviously, you know, we brought it up then. Uh, he's he he. It's it's a collective effort. They really swarmed to the ball. I mean, they've got some super syntax kids, you know, like Cameron Walker and and you know Luke Torbert and stuff. But but it's it's been a it's been a group effort, uh, and he really likes the way the D line is is getting off the ball. But then you look at Marlin and and DJ mentioned it. Obviously, got off to a really kind of slow start in terms of zero and three in non district, but they're playing some pretty good teams. And then as they've gotten into district play, they've gotten it going, and and certainly. I think, you know, obviously Crawford hasn't seen an offense as explosive as Marlon. So it's it's going to be strength on strength and should be a lot of fun for sure. Game Absolutely. Play. Yeah. So uh, another really good one is the one that, uh, Chad, you'll be at if you drop down another division in Class 2A to 2A Division 2. Uh, you get number five Chilton hosting number eight Bremont in a top 10 game. We really haven't talked about these teams on the podcast uh, this year. Shame on us. But um, this really sets up as a as a sensational showdown. So which of these teams in your mind has been more dominant to this point of the season? And second part of that. Can either one of them challenge number one, Mart? Well, um, Bremont, I mean, if you look at the schedule results, Bremont has just been off the charts. I mean, they've just smashed everybody. Mm. And Chilton, I mean, Chilton has maybe the best win, best win of, of the pair because they beat Italy, which is a class up and a, and a playoff team and a class up, you know, or a division up. Division up. And so – uh, but I mean, just looking at the at the scores that Bremont has won by, it's it's pretty dang impressive. And I think the the big appeal for this game for me is just sort of the mystery of it because it's it's hard to say. I mean, when we when we go to pick these games, it's going to be a coin toss on this one. I feel like um, because I've picked against Chilton this year and got burned for it. You know, I think I picked against against Italy and got burned for it. And um, you know, as the second part of your question, and well. I'm looking forward to learning a lot about both of these teams, about seeing who their go-to guys are and who they hand the ball to on, you know, third and two or who they want the, the, to have the ball in those crucial down and distance, distance situations. Um, and, and I think, can they compete with Mart? I mean, the, the easy, the easy quick answer is no, they can't, you know, I learned that lesson last year, right? <laughs> the children, gonna be, the, no. the Mart fans just, let no, you know yeah. about it. I know, I know. You just say, can they beat Martin? No, just as fast as you can, right? Right. But looking back, looking at the past, Bremont has been where Mart was, you know, in terms of winning multiple state championships and, and, and getting to the state championships game several times in a row. And Chilton has, you know, 
back before they were in the same division, Chilton was there too. And you can see this sort of progression in Chilton because they were awful four years ago, you know, and then they, they were a playoff team and then they were a playoff. They had a better record than were a playoff team. And then last year they make the regional final and play Martin the regional final. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you think, Oh, well, they lost a bunch of kids. They're not going to be as good this year, but then here they are beating Italy, beating everybody else on their schedule bad. So, you know, they're getting to that point where they're going to be them and, or Bremont are going to be March toughest competition in the region. Good stuff. What do you say, DJ? Oh God, it's hard. It's hard to really come up with an opinion when like Chad said, we haven't really seen mm-hmm. like actual game on either of these teams. Whenever uh, they come up on like the high school picks, I kind of just automatically pick both of these teams. Right. <laughs> yes. That's a good like, call. I, I, don't even, I don't even like look at the records or anything. It's just kind of like you automatically know yeah. they're going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, just in terms of what they've done in the past this season, it's it's hard for me to really come up with an analysis unless I've seen yeah, the yeah. play. But well, yeah, you um, mentioned just saying, you know, you mentioned seeing the name of going like Chilton. Okay, yeah, Chilton, right? The first week of the year, they played Bosqueville, and I'm going, okay, Bosqueville is a for sure playoff team in two AD one, and Chilton is a playoff team in two AD two. And I'm going to lean towards Bosqueville on this one. And then Chilton comes out and just like beats him by, you know, power many touchdowns. Yeah. 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 Uh, they've had both, like you said, both of them have had impressive results uh, this year. And, and to me, that's the, uh, the clear district championship game again for that district. Uh, you know, First of all, let me say about Jeff Kozowski at Bremont, uh, a sleeper for, you know, again, we probably don't talk about him enough, but a sleeper for one of the best coaches in our area. Um, Bremont is consistent every year. Very, very good. They're kind of on the fringe of our area, uh, but we, we do cover them and uh, the Brian Eagle does as well. So we kind of share, uh, share them, but um you know, Bremont had a run. Now they had Rashad Paul, who was one of their best players ever in school history, but they had a run of three state championships back in the mid 2010s. Um, and then Chad, you mentioned sort of the upward progression of Chilton. Uh, it's interesting that that has continued with a first year head coach in Benny Hewitt. Now, uh, he was there before as an assistant. So I think that helps maintain some of that continuity that we've talked about with like Tyler Beatty at China spring. So yeah, uh, it's going to be a fun one. And like Chad said, I think a little bit of a, a learning game for us, you know, just to kind of figure out who these teams are. And and I don't think the loser of this game uh, is incapable of making a deep run itself in the playoffs. You know what I mean? I think both these teams are going to be teams to reckon with. I mean, you could foresee them playing again in the playoffs if one of them didn't have to play Mark. Right, right. Exactly, exactly. Uh, let me pull up my questions here. Um, so, DJ, you wrote about it in your uh, Sunday Rewind column, but one of the things that we love to do as sports writers 
are tell people's stories. Um, and that could be a story of their journey in their sports, you know, football or something else. Uh, but it also can be a story of, you know, struggles in life and going through adversity and um, joy and everything, you know, everything on the spectrum there. Um, so, DJ, you explained a little bit about it in your column, but tell us uh, a little more background of how the Torres coaches story came together <laughs> and and what impact that had on you kind of as a writer and storyteller. And then Chad, I'll get, uh, get you in a minute. Um, well, it was kind of an idea that I'd already had. It's, you know, Hispanic heritage month. My family's from Mexico. It's, you know, something that kind of meant a lot to me. I wanted to do something, uh, to commemorate it. I couldn't get the Dave Aranda interview obviously because he's a real like first of all he just doesn't like talking about himself and second of all it's just pretty tough to get interviews uh with you know the football team at Baylor unless it's like preset ahead of time mm. um yeah but like you'd mentioned that you know Costa is being from El Paso there are not a lot of Hispanic high school football coaches mm-hmm. um and in central texas we've got you know two like head coaches basically right you know ricky torres ruben torres you thought they were brothers i did so- i did that was a mistake <laughs> on my part yeah um which you know until like i put like i texted both of them we were in a little group chat and i was like i'd really like to write this story i think it's really cool y'all are you know, brothers in coaching, you know, maybe we can talk about about Hispanic background (laughs) immediately. I remember it was, um, I think it was Ricky. He's like, it's a really good idea, but we're not brothers. (laughs) (laughs) When you texted me that, I was like, you're kidding. I I mean, I swear I thought Ruben uh, told me that they were brothers, but uh, what do I know? I, I, I heard that from somewhere. I'm blaming someone. (laughs) um i think it's just it's because ricky was on uh ruben's staff at Mm -hmm. marlin last year and i did Um, know i did know that ruben has two brothers who are mm -hmm. head football coaches correct yeah 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 so like when when we did the interview and he told me you know like what you know my brothers are coaches they were actually coaches before ruben got into coaching because he was working um more of a government job uh and and then when he was done with that he was like you know i didn't really know what to do got into coaching and you know it's gone really well for for him so far um but yeah i it, it was kind of a contrast of like when i talked to ricky we definitely talk more about the heritage side of things and like he's got the job that he has and he's gone where he has because you know part of it's part of the heritage that you just you work hard and you keep going, um, you know, because you don't have that many other options really. Um, and it, it really related to that in a lot of ways. And with coach Ruben at Marlin, it was very more football heavy, uh, talking about, you know, how he got into football, his whole family's into football. Uh, he comes from a military background. And so, and, um, I found it interesting that even though he's from El Paso, which is like right across the border, 
from Mexico. Um, but, but like I mentioned, he's a mi- from military background. So he had a bit more of a diverse setting growing up mm-hmm. as opposed to just being in a place where it was all Hispanic people. And, you know, and for Ricky, like he's, I think maybe two or three generations removed from his family in Mexico. So he's a Texas kid and in Texas played, football played for Johnny Tusa at yeah. high. And I, I loved, I loved the old school, like big shoulder pads uh, <laughs> picture of him. You know, that was great stuff. Yeah. And it's just, um, I'm first generation. Like my family is direct, like, from Mexico. I was born in the States, but I did, I started pre-K in Mexico and then we came to Texas and, you know, been here. My parents have been here for over two decades now. So, um, it's, uh, it's still that kind of like you relate to even a few generations down where you're, you don't feel Mexican enough, but you don't feel American enough. And so you're always trying to prove something to somebody. And it, and I felt like I really related that to like, even now Ricky Torres told me like, he tries to stay humble and remember that he's always got to work hard. He doesn't like it when people like, he doesn't tell people that he's the athletic director at Itasca, uh, you know, as well as the head football coach now. Um, because you know it just it it doesn't feel natural of like okay yeah like I'm here when mm. I used to be here because mm. um, you're always working towards something more and you're always trying to prove yourself and so that's kind of why this meant a lot to me writing this story. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And let's be honest. I, oh, sorry, sorry. You know, being the <laughs> athletic director of the Itasca Wampus Cats could really go to somebody's head. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man. Um, it's but it just really served, yeah, yeah. It really just served to remind me of like the position I'm in. Like I'm a first generation Mexican American uh sports writer covering high school football in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um and there's not a lot of people that can say that. No. Um so it's tough, it's challenging. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I took this job because I absolutely love football. I'm wearing a soccer jersey, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, I took this job because you offered me Baylor baseball. So. I did. I did. I know. I'm um, stupid. Yeah, but it's still I think that covering high school football is something that every sports writer should do because mm-hmm. it definitely um, will give you an experience that you can't compare to anything else. So, yeah. Well put, well put. Well, uh, well done on the story and, and honestly on the explanation of it, uh, both in your column and just now, uh, Chad, to kind of turn the question a little bit around to you, uh, mm-hmm. what is just maybe one of your favorite stories that you've written either for the trip for your book, for some other publication. Yeah, I mean, you would ask me this question when I don't have my Republic of Football poster behind me like I normally do. <laughs> I guess that's my fault, though. Um, yeah, so like the Republic of Football, I got to tell 42 different stories from different towns uh, and sort of their moment of glory from that town. And 
I don't know. I don't know if there's one that like when people hear me talk about the book that I always talk about that I fall back on. But uh, at the risk of doing that, I'll just go ahead and say probably my favorite story from the book was that of Hayden Fry, who grew up in Odessa, you know, playing for the Odessa Broncos. You know, most people that know about Hayden Fry know about Hayden Fry at Iowa, you know, or maybe Hayden Fry at SMU who signed Jerry Levias mm. as the first black player in the Southwest conference. But, uh, back in the 1940s, uh, Hayden Fry was a high school senior and they got really far in the playoffs and then lost, you know, it, it some stage late in the playoffs. And then the next spring rolls around and Hayden Fry realized there's a loophole in the, uh, in the UIL rule book that if you haven't turned 18 on September 1st, that you're eligible to play high school football. So Hayden goes and checks the birthdays of like 10 of his senior teammates. And it turns out none of them will be 18 by September 1st or no 19. If you haven't turned 19 on September 1st, right? Mm -hmm. So none of them are going to be 19 by September 1st. So they all just agree to flunk senior English that spring, right? Wow. And they come back the following fall fall and, you know, having all these guys, all these seniors back, plus every, everything everybody they already had, they go and win the state championship, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, that's Hayden Fry being, you know, an innovator and a genius, even when he's a senior in high school. Now, I, some people might say, well, that's a little, you know, that's a little tricky. You know, I, I don't. I don't want to use any word any more derogatory than tricky when talking about the great Hayden Fry, you know, mm. but it was a little tricky, right? Mm -hmm. Sneaky. So, but, uh, uh, but, um, yeah, that, I, I just, I really enjoyed, I got to interview Hayden Fry over the phone. I was going to go, uh, interview him at his home in Mesquite, uh, uh, Mesquite, Utah, I believe. Okay. Just right, just right close to, uh, Las Vegas though. And I got the feeling like a little bit sick right before I went to go interview him. And of course he was like 88, 90 years old or something like that when I was going to go talk to him. And last thing I'm going to do is go be the guy that gets Hayden Fry sick and, you know, whatever. So, but he was fantastic, even on the telephone and gracious and just, just such a big, probably the biggest thrill I've had, even in writing that book was, was getting to talk to him and, and learn that story and, and write that story for Republic of Football. Yep. Well done. Well done. I was going to see if your book was within reach here. In my, in my, do I have it in my car? No, I don't. Oh, I do have, uh, I do have this one within reach. That's a different Texas sports. This is yeah, a different well, book by Chad. So uh, <laughs> we'll do a little plug, a little commercial there for you. Uh, I was a little concerned that you guys were going to turn the question around on me and say, what was my, uh, favorite story. Well, I thought you were just going to do that anyway, though. Well, I know. Uh, but so I, as we were starting the podcast, I was like, oh, crap, I got to think about this. Uh, and while we while we were sitting here talking, I did think of at least one that um, Chad will probably remember this. I can't remember if this was between your stints with the trib, but Rosebeck had a kid named William Barton. They called him Boo, Boo Barton. And um, this is early 2000s. And he ended up uh, against Lorena having a really, really bad injury and losing his leg um, and got amputated. And um, 
And this was, I would say, a little before the the running uh, prosthetics were were as common as they are now, you know? I mean, I think they were mm-hmm. still sort of like coming coming through with those. But anyway, he, um, of course, you know, he inspired the GOAT team. I mean, they were trying to win games for Boo and stuff. Uh, and he ended up um, getting one of those running prosthetics and, and um, competing in track the next spring. Um, all that to say, I know David Campbell wrote a lot of story. David G. Campbell uh, wrote a lot of stories about Boo Barton when he was when he was uh, working for us. But uh, a couple summers ago, we did some uh, "Where Are They Now?" stories in the summer, and I went out and and talked to to Boo Barton, and he's still in Grosbeck. He uh, he works. Um, I want to say he worked for the. I have to go back and look that up, but. Uh, maybe the fire department or the police department um, and, you know, has had a great life. He uh, has a family and and children and, uh, you know, doing great. Uh, and I think he was just kind of honored to be remembered, you know, uh, that his story still resonates with people and, and he was happy to share it. And uh, to me, those are the kind of fun stories that we get to tell, um, you know, they don't always have to be a big name like Hayden Fry. They could be a name like, you know, Boo Barton and Ricky Torres and, you know, uh, these guys. But uh, great well, stuff. Well, it's, uh, it's usually the non-X's and O's, non-super football related stuff that you end up remembering, right? Yeah. Now, I will say uh, one one week, this this was a lot of fun. As you, Just as you said that, it, this came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um I remember doing a feature back DJ when I was in kind of your position. Um, uh, I was like, Hmm, I'm a, I'm going to, so, you know, this game, there was like an 80 yard touchdown. This other game, there was like a 75 yard touchdown. This other game, there was like a 90 yard touchdown. I'm going to call all these coaches and ask them what was the play name? Uh, you know, what was the play and why did it work? And let me tell you, these coaches were friggin' in hog heaven because you talk about dorking out, you know. Mm. Oh, can I really break down the X's and O's for you? Sure, I'll be happy to do that. And I, the anatomy I, I, of a big play. I honestly yeah. never had a better interview with Mark Bell than for that story, uh, the former China Spring coach, because he was just like dorking out talking about yeah and we got the block on the edge and yada 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 and um and it was a fun story to do you know just as just to kind of break down why each of those plays worked why don't Uh, we do that once a season when we should do that all the time yeah that'd be that's a uh, there you go there's another story idea there for you dj uh so before we go i want to circle to back to our picks for a second uh, this oh not, yeah! This is not to gloat because uh, even though I do have a lead, you guys have been chipping away at it lately. Um, but I was so each week we pick all the games in the area, the three of us, and there's always some where one of us was the only person to pick that particular team to win. And uh, I have decided to call these the coconut picks 
because you're dangling out there on a limb. How about that? Isn't that just perfectly cheesy? That, as Jason Ortz would say, that's a cherry bomb. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, at any rate, because I was curious, I wanted to see how we've done in these coconut picks. Uh, I wasn't completely sure, but uh, I am leading, which kind of goes with the fact that I'm leading the picks. You would think I'd be leading this uh, 21 and 13 in those kind of games. But I have also missed my last four and I'm one in 10 in my last 11. So I haven't been lighting it up lately. Chad, you are eight and nine in such games. You don't have a ton of those kind of picks. And DJ is 13 and 33. She likes to throw some darts. Uh, so my question is this, what is your strategy when you're picking these games? And does it ever worry you when you see one of the, uh, the other two of us go the other direction? DJ, I'm going to start with you. I don't really care about these picks. To be honest. <laughs> At least you're honest. I usually... A lot of the time, I just pick the opposite of what y'all are picking. Just to say, I pick the opposite of what y'all are picking. Sometimes it's a gut thing. It's just like, okay, like, like this team might do so, like, you know. Um, other times, I just I'm just doing it to be nice because <laughs> I know they're not going to win, yeah, but so at, at least I'll be. Like, I wrote a column. I, I wrote a column this week about, uh, hey, when we we pick against your team, it's nothing personal. And in the column, sometimes it is. It, well, okay, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe you're right. Uh, but in the column, I said that personally, I don't throw local teams a bone. But it does sound like DJ will throw a bone to you. So yeah, DJ is the queen for this of the season. Mm-hmm. For this season, I'm not gonna say that next year I'll be doing the same thing. Okay, but. there you go. I like it. Switching it up, Chad. What do you say? Uh, well, um. When I, when I usually, if I've, if I'm picking and both of y'all have already picked, which doesn't happen very often. Um, I, I feel like even like last year, uh, on staff, I would be one of the first ones to pick just because like, usually my workflow is such that I'm like, let me get these picks done like tonight while I'm watching TV. And then I just want the last thing I have to do tomorrow, you know? Um, but if I do see one, like, especially like where maybe one of y'all has picked and I'm like, Oh, I got them there. You know, I, I really like those. Um, mm-hmm. I don't I don't really make many of those picks where I'm like, I'm going to go the opposite of, of them. It's more like, huh, they both pick such and such. And I think they're both wrong. Now, obviously, I'm only eight out of 17 in that situation. So I'm a little probably a little too cocky, you know. Uh, but then, you know, just from an overall perspective, I mean, I was thinking earlier today about how like art- artificial intelligence and like data driven like. Um, you know, apps and things that we use like that just aren't very good. I feel like like AI and data are kind of dumb in a way, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But but I do like kind of I'm pretty data heavy when I make these picks, just in terms of looking at schedule results and trying to figure out if you know one team, if the teams they've played have been good or if they've been terrible. And because sometimes you're like, oh, okay, uh, Axel versus Kearns. Is Kearns good? Let's see. Who has Kearns played? Oh, well, Kearns has played like Bullard. I, I'm just pulling that out. I don't know if they played Bullard. I'm like, but they beat Bullard. Bet, but is Bullard any good? Because there's like 
three like B schools out there in like Texas football land, like Bartlett and Bullard and Baird and all, like things like that. You know, you can't ever remember if they're like the one that's terrible or not. Right. Yeah. So then you have to go look and like, like, oh, yeah, that is that is that B school that's just not any good at all. So that win doesn't really count for anything. So I like I fly through like all these data points within about two and a half minutes. Right. To make each <laughs> pick. And that's how I usually arrive at my pick. Now, the other thing is like data wise and like statistics wise, usually by the end of the year, I level out at like 78 percent. Right. Mm-hmm. which you do too, because we're usually pretty close, right? Mm-hmm. So you got a 12-game lead on me, I think, at this point. But I, but I think if I keep getting a game or two a week, we'll go into the playoffs almost dead even. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a possibility. I'll say this. I was absolutely killing it in these coconut picks. I was 20-3 and three at one point. Now I'm 21-12. and 12, So You know um, what I call that? It's the law of averages. I call it lucky. <laughs> there, there is some luck involved. Certainly, uh, you would think as you get to know the teams better, your picks would even get better. But like that's why you- it makes it even look more like it's just dumb luck. <laughs> I, I, obviously, I did get some that were dumb luck, but uh, there were certain ones that I have a, a feeling about. Um, I would say my general rule. This is a good rule. I'm going to give you all this as a pro tip. Don't pick bad teams. <laughs> Don't pick bad teams to win. Okay. And if I have to tell you who those are, uh, it, it probably is going to hurt some people's feelings. But uh, well, I know like early in the year, I picked there were two teams in our area that had not won very many games in the last five years or more. Right. And they were playing each other. And I went with one of them. And you're like, how in the world did you go with? you know, uh, Frankenstein. And I was like, I'm going to call him out. I'm going to say, look, if you're picking Meridian and you're picking Bishop (laughs) Riker this year, because Riker is not good this year. I'm sorry. Uh, Right. They have a numbers issue. If you're picking those two teams, you're going to take a loss. I mean, I'm just saying. Gosh, this might be our best podcast ever. (laughs) All right. Uh, So make your picks. Um, what are you doing now, Chad? You're showing us. Showing you Billy Bob's. You're showing us Billy Bob's. Okay, you enjoy that mechanical bull. We're gonna add that video to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. See I do y'all. gotta say yes. before we leave, I'm a lot more confident in my college football picks, and I think I've beat y'all for a couple weeks. You yeah, and so Chad's <laughs> not making those, but yes, DJ uh, has done well. I'm I'm third out of John and DJ in the college picks. And it's partially because I will take a few more chances, and they're sometimes they're dumb chances. Uh, but yes, uh, John is leading those, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but DJ, you have had some good weeks there. So, all right, good stuff. Uh, so Chad will be at Chilton Bremont. DJ will be at Crawford and Marlin. And um, we didn't talk about this game, and it's fine. Uh, but I'll be at Midway Temple. Uh, Intriguing game, but um, I think Midway is going to still have an uphill climb because of a very key injury. So, so anyway, tune in next time to find out. All right, we'll see (laughs) y'all.